Welcome and thanks so much for tuning in today. Here's the thing, you guys. This is what you need to know about more Jody. I'm the girl who says what everyone is thinking, unapologetically myself, all the time. The goal of this podcast is to help you go unfiltered. We use so many covers to hide our true selves, and it's time to stop living your life according to what the ideal police think you should be doing and step into who you were created to be. More vulnerable, more authentic, and more free. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Marsha Peacock. She is an engineer, a wife, and a mom, and we get to talk about being a woman in the oil and gas industry, what that looks like, what it feels like, and what steps you have to take to advocate for yourself. It's a really encouraging listen, and I hope that you like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Marsha Peacock, welcome to the More Dirty Podcast. How's your day going? Really good, really good. It's so nice to see you. I know. Isn't this funny? Like you become friends with someone online and we don't, none of us know each other. And now we're just these like strangers. I always say it's always like a a little bit like a first date, right? It's true. (laughs) But with women, I feel like there's just such an easy connection most of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always common ground. There's always common ground. Yeah, immediately, like you're in your car right now. And I'm, like I said, like using the bathroom fan to turn down the voices of my kids in the next room. And so immediately we're like, we have similar lives, you know, like there's that, that common ground. So I'm super excited to have you on today. And my friend, Monica, who I talk about all the time on this podcast told me, do you know, Monica, Monica Hill? Absolutely. Yes, you do. Okay. I don't, I don't yeah. know who she knows personally. Cause I've never met Monica. We've been online friends for a year, but Monica was like Marsh Peacock. You got to interview her about being um, a female making her way to the top in the oil industry. And I'm from Alberta, born and raised. And definitely oil has been a part of my life um, for a really long time. My brother's a geologist, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's an important industry um, in, in my roots. It feels like so really cool. And of course, I'm all about women doing audacious things and, you know, carving paths in places that not a lot of women have carved paths before. So that is the reason I really wanted to talk to you today and have you, um, you know, encourage women, um, you know, just based on your own experience. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, kind of a little bit about you and yeah, we'll go from there. Okay, sure. So. I currently live south of Wainwright, so between Hardesty and Wainwright, out in the country with my husband and two kids. It's in an area where we had grown up. We grew up here, both my husband and I, and kind of moved around the province, ended up back here to raise our kids. Um, And then kind of going a step back to where my career began and and how I got into the oil and gas industry. I was raised on a farm near here, so near near Hardesty, um, mixed grain cattle farm, and I was really interested in math, science, physics, chemistry, and wasn't really sure what to do. Um, you know, what did I want to do when I grow up kind of thing? And it's really, really hard unless you, you know somebody that's doing something that's oh, really yeah. cool and interesting. But in a farming environment, you know, farming and predominantly women out here, they have kind of more traditional roles that they fulfill, nice. traditional careers. And anyway, sitting down with the career counselor at school, kind of landed on engineering, the math, science, all of that kind of led me down that path. So in grade 11, 
there was a youth internship program. So it's an opportunity to be a co-op student and go work at a, a business and learn about what people do. And at that time, there was a, a pretty major oil company that was in Hardesty that had their engineers based in the field. Generally, engineers are based in Calgary. Sometimes you come across the odd field engineer, but they had a, a pretty large office. And so that's where my first exposure was to engineering. So what year was that? That would have been back in 1994. Oh, wow. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I, I spent a few months in the office with the engineers and learning about oil and gas. I knew absolutely nothing about oil and gas. I, I mean, you'd see a pump jack, yeah. a rig. I couldn't tell the difference between a service rig or a drilling rig. I didn't know what an engineer even did in the oil and gas industry. So that, that was kind of the first piece of, of my career was understanding what they do and following the path from there. So after I graduated from high school, I went to Nate and I studied petroleum engineering technology. And the funny thing is I never once really thought about the gender issue in the oil and right. gas industry. So going to school, class size was about 40. There was four girls. Right. And I never really thought about that when I enrolled just showed up and that's just what it was. I mean, and went through school and there was a couple of girls, you'd hang out. The guys were nice too. I mean, there wasn't really a division. Right. We just all went to school. We all had common goals. We were there to learn, to become educated and to get out into the workforce. Well, I feel like 20 year old Jody would have been like, I'm in a career. There's boys everywhere. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> it's nice that you didn't notice I feel like I would have been like this is awesome uh, there's like so few of us so many of them so then so you so that was you graduated high school what year in 96 and so I, I think about the ups and downs in the oil industry over the years yeah that's oh. a whole thing eh? oh is that ever so when I graduated in 1999 it was a major slump yeah. there was no work none so it was, it was really frustrating to work your ass off to get yeah. through school, get good grades to come out and there's nothing. So that's kind of where, where some of the stories begin is going for interviews and, you know, trying to, trying to land a job because really yeah. that's all I ever wanted to do is I wanted to, I wanted to finish school. I wanted to start working. I wanted to yeah. pay off my student loans and I wanted to start, you know, thinking about having my own home and my own vehicle, all those kinds of things. So I can remember one of my first interviews in this decline was for a, a submersible pump company and went in, you know, they seemed really nice. There was some kind of awkward moments. They wanted me drawing diagrams on a whiteboard and it was unusual in that regard, but they were just assessing my knowledge technical right, skill right. but then it jumped to a, a very personal level where they wanted to know if I was married and they wanted to know if because I was getting married in a few months if that meant I had intentions of going on maternity leave anytime soon because a rule didn't have any room for maternity leaves and right then and there I just I was really disappointed for one thing because yeah I was getting married because I wanted to marry my best friend. Yeah. We had no intentions of having kids. 
If you did, that's none of their business. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. And so I was polite, cordial. And I went away from the interview. I went home and I said to my, my then fiance, now husband, I said, I can't work for a company that doesn't respect me. And he's like, well, don't worry about it. Don't even think about it. But he offered me the job. And I said, absolutely not. I will not compromise my integrity, even in an economic downturn, when I have no other offers on the table. So I went to work at the Gap and I folded jeans because (laughs) there is no way that I was going to work for a company that would not support me if for some reason I decided to have a child. And at that point, there was there was no intentions on having a family. And in fact, we didn't have a family for another 11 years. But because they crossed that line, it was it was just wrong. And there was oh, no way I would work for them. So interesting. I love, <laughs> I love your commitment, even at such a young age. Like that tells me right there of, about that speaks to the fire within you. You know what I mean? That like in your being, you were like, no. Like even having that, that talks to me about like the strength of your character, which is going to make you more successful because there are barriers right in that industry. But, um, wow, that like, that is a super impressive. Cause I think it's so often, right. We make, we make decisions out of scarcity and you didn't, you were like, no, no, no. And I mean, I needed the income. Yeah. I needed to work, but there was no way I would work for a company or work for a manager that, that had those kinds of expectations on female staff. Totally. It was just unacceptable. Totally. So then, so then since then, so that's, you know, way back, that's first job, then kind of tell us about your, I guess your, your life, not your lifespan. That sounds like you're dead. You're not dead. Um, (laughs) Tell us about your, um, your timeline kind of. So that was, you know, like, and then the, we have an upturn. When did the upturn come next too? Like how long did you work at the gap for? I worked there for, it was, it was probably about, well, not quite a year, I'd say seven or eight months or so. And that we were living in Edmonton at the time, we ended up moving out to the Hardesty area, because that's where oil and gas was booming, there was there was work to be had. And I, a lot of my work has been very piecemeal, kind of filling in gaps where people didn't have staff, they had field engineers that had left, and I could come in and and do some work to kind of get them going in the right direction, help them out. And some of those engineering roles were very short term, some were longer term, and were all very good experiences. I did spend some time in an operations type role. So hands-on, boots on the ground, operating facilities. And I ran into some issues there with uh, struggling with having respect from male counterparts. And I quickly learned that I either had to deal with it myself right then and there, I couldn't ignore it and I couldn't let it carry on. Or I had to go to my supervisor and my supervisor had to deal with it. So there was a couple of scenarios of where I felt very uncomfortable. I felt unsafe scenarios like that. And not some of those were not in this immediate area. Some of them were in Southern Alberta in operating type roles but they were dealt with really quickly and they were resolved. Once I started moving into more um, decision-making roles with more 
more leadership type. Yeah. 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 Then things really, really shifted. And I haven't had any issues like that. Sometimes people will say just stupid things and, and it's not meant to be, um, derogatory, but sometimes they just say stupid things and you realize that they just aren't thinking when they say things that they're thinking. One situation I was, I was six months pregnant wearing coveralls (laughs) out on a location and somebody said to me, trying to compliment me, how did you get your job? It must've been your good looks. And that just annoyed me (laughs) so bad. So I, I quickly informed him of what my qualifications were, what my credentials were, and why I was standing there directing him on how he was going to conduct the work that he needed to do. And there's times like that you just you roll your eyes and think really I'm six months pregnant in coveralls <laughs> like, wow it's but- so funny that's such a funny thing I think a few years ago um I've always said I want to I well I know I had this epiphany I feel like in like 2016 or 17 or something where I was at a table I was kind of in a decision making I don't know maybe not decision making as much as influencing kind of a role and there's all these men and a few of them are pro I'm I'm probably 36 and a few of these men are like early 60s and stuff and the one and I'm always annoyed that it's always a woman bringing us coffee. I don't know what it is. Like there's just, I'm not, I'm not a super feminist at all. And I have to give a disclaimer. I love men and I'm not, I'm not a man hater or anything either, but like, I, I I always feel like I joke with my husband that I'm like, I'd love a male assistant. If he was efficient and good at his job, I would love a male assistant, (laughs) but I just don't always love that. It's a woman bringing us coffee. So anyways, this girl had brought coffee into the room and it's me and a table of men. And he says to her, pass the sugar, sugar. And I was like, oh, "Oh, that's actually not her name. That's actually not her name. I said, you know, I said, her name's Vicky. And he was like, his face just like drained. And and I wasn't offended. I'm just like really quick and really witty. But it was one of those things where I'm like, right? Like, I just, I want to flip things upside down. And so, and even as I think about you, would you feel comfortable telling us any of those stories that were uncomfortable at the beginning? The language can get to be, pretty dicey with some of them and just explicit yeah and so some of the ones like there was one that had very explicit language and and he he did not actually realize that he was crossing a boundary which is (laughs) mind-blowing it is mind-blowing and so I contemplated how I was going to handle the situation and I actually thought if I have to meet this person on lease to give him the work permit after he had asked for one this explicit language he used that was very sexual in nature I thought well I'll, I'll I had my plan ready I'll take my pipe wrench set it on the center console of my truck and if he tries anything I'll just clobber him with it and I realized no I'm not this is work I'm getting paid to be here if I feel that I'm going to be physically assaulted Armed, yeah then I need to be telling the foreman and the foreman needs to address this. And they, you know, he was like, wow, like he said that. And he's like, I I just have to think about what to do. I've never dealt with this before. And and this particular scenario, it was a a different company that was, um, we were operating a well and for them and they ended up going to the vice president of this other company and this consultant that, had said these profanities he he confessed fully to the vice president of what he had said 
and the, the detail and his vice president called me and he apologized up and down. He's like, I don't know why he said the things he did. It's absolutely grotesque and appalling. But he, and I asked him, what did he tell you? Because I wanted to see. Right. Did he lie? Did this, yeah. Yeah. He recited word for word what he said. And he, he could tell he was very embarrassed that this was somebody that was representing his company. But I appreciated that he apologized yeah. and I appreciated that the company I work for fully backed me and we're like, you know what, this is, this is not happening. This is not happening right now. So, and there's it's good to see you know, they handled was, it appropriately, that it was handled. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I learned, I learned really quickly that you can't let things go because if you let things go, yeah. they continue to go. So you either have to stand up and, and address it and say that is enough, which I've had to do. Yeah. And, or else you, you take it up the ladder and, and somebody with more authority deals with it. Neither one is fun, yeah. but it's a lot worse to come home from work feeling uncomfortable and feeling like you're, you're not welcome and that you don't belong. And yeah. so from there, so that was, that would have been early 2000. And from there, I have had none of that. I've had no, no conversations that have crossed minds, no inappropriate language used at me or anything like that. So I think that was a shift in the culture of the industry as well. People became more aware that women work in the industry and that women are bringing knowledge and, yeah. and, and bringing a lot of skill to the table as well to be part of the team. And I think from there, it became less of a, a man's world and became just more the oil and gas industry as a whole. That's right. been my experience with it. Well, and I, I worked at a chemical plant for four summers in, um, you know, the manual labor section, my dad is a millwright. And so he was in a different building. Um, but I worked four summers and, um, and I made cigarette toe, like the inside of a cigarette filter. I made acetyl acetate, I think anyways. And it was a really, really amazing experience because, and I do think that everybody at some point should have some sort of a manual labor job in their life because of what I learned from that experience. And I'm really quick witted. And so I can come back, you know, um, I can address stuff really well in the moment and stuff with, um, with anybody really. Um, but I think about, and I, I agree, like, just when you say like dealing with stuff matters and speaking up matters. And I think that that's how we change industries, right. Is by like using the courage that you had in that moment. And it's, it's, not letting stuff go. And, and like you said, like, I love that you even kind of paused and then pivoted with your, you know, your tool that you're going to beat him with on the middle of your console. And you're like, wait a second, there's gotta be a better way. Like, I love that because I think, um, I definitely think we can't tolerate feeling unsafe. And I love that that guy actually, there's something so important to me about people having the ability to say, sorry, that's such an important piece. And I love that they actually said, sorry, because I think so often people want to make it right with like money or other things. And it's like, sometimes just that actual, like I've wronged you and I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Is like such a vital piece. And I love that they did that. Absolutely. In fact, there was another, there was another scenario of sexual harassment in a workplace when I was in the manual labor role and people knew it was 
happening, but it was being done in a joking way, that very passive aggressive type scenario. I, you know, I repeatedly asked for it to stop. I didn't go, I didn't go to anyone that was senior about it. I just wanted to deal with it on my own and it, it wouldn't stop. I actually quit the job, but one of my coworkers came to me, goodness, like 12 or 14 years later in a, you know, at a function and said, I am so sorry that I didn't say anything to interject. We all knew it was happening. None of us really knew what to do. We just thought it would stop. And I feel really bad. And that was a lot, Yeah, you know, that many years later. And it wasn't something that affected him personally. It was something that affected me personally. And yeah, that, that meant a lot. So hearing, hearing somebody apologize, even apologizing on somebody else's behalf is huge. It's absolutely huge. And I think the, some of the hard parts about all this is that all I, all my expectations ever were going into the industry was to be seen as equal, not to have any special exceptions or special permissions, or I didn't want to be seen as a girl. I would not take my purse to meetings because I didn't want to be seen as the girl. I wanted to wear my coveralls like everybody else. I wanted to come in with the same skill set and just do my job. So my purse would stay in my truck because I didn't want to draw attention to the fact I'm a girl, which is so ridiculous because a purse is meaningless. But that to me was symbolic of, of being a girl. So then I have a question for you. So have you felt in any way in your career that being a woman was an asset? Have you been surprised or learned? I know this is not on my list of questions, but have you learned anything about, because a woman, like we bring so many different things to the world and that's why you need men and women, right? Because we have different skill sets, different perspectives. Is there anything you can think of that as a woman has been like really helpful? I think... In, so in some of the roles I've been in, I, I audit what people are doing. So I used to work for the Alberta Energy Regulator. I would go into facilities and, and audit pipelines and facility paperwork. And in my current role, that's what I spend a significant amount of my time doing is auditing. And when you're auditing, you always find something that's missed, something that hasn't right. been done correctly or something that hasn't been documented properly. And so there's always, you're always giving negative and positive feedback, but you're always finding things that are deficient. And I think being female, I can be very upfront, very direct and very forthright without it becoming antagonistic like it might be if it was a male in that scenario dealing with men having to receive that negative feedback. And that would be maybe, and maybe that's just, how I convey things to people as well as just in a this is what we've found and this is how we're going to remedy it this is how we move forward because we're a team but I think maybe that would be a softer side right like there's there's a yeah there's an empathetic way to deliver some of that information and I can picture some of the you know, people that I've worked with, it would be really cut and dry. Well, you screwed this up and you, you know what I mean? Like when I think about, <laughs> yes. about those roles and those bosses that I've had before back in the day and stuff. So that's, that's super funny. Do you feel it is as stereotypical out there as we might expect? Like, do women get equal pay in the oil industry? Do you think, or, you know, do you have to work differently to get the same thing as a man or are we wrong about that? Well, yes and no. So in terms of pay, 
for most of my career, I would say 17 of 20 years, I was paid 30% less. Didn't matter who I worked for, it would be, you'd bring out the calculator and it wasn't 20%, it wasn't 10%, it was 30%. It was the stereotypical 30%. In my current role, I am paid equally. I, there is no, there's no differentiation there. And I think that has to do with progression. It has to do with, you know, my experience. It has to do with the way I advocate for myself. And it has to do with the fact that my boss values me as a person. Right. And oh, and what the other question was. Well, I thought you were going to cry. I was like, I don't know. No, I was thinking <laughs> on working on. You have to how work differently to get the same things as a man. I haven't experienced that because I generally have very, very <laughs> severe workaholic tendencies. So I, oh, I always okay. immerse myself in work and I, I always set the bar very high. And when I start approaching that bar, I move the bar again. So I, I couldn't even comment about working harder than somebody else because I just generally work very, hard. Yeah. The root of it breaks my heart is that I think women are willing to settle for less. It's like they say that if a woman looks at jobs online, she won't apply for something she's not 100% qualified for. And a man will apply for something he's 80% qualified for. And I think it's that we're willing to settle for less. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. So even my own philosophy was, I just wanted to be treated the same. I just wanted the opportunity to work. And I think going in with that sort of a mentality, just eager was detrimental. I'm being eager is never a bad thing, but unless you're advocating for yourself and, and asking for pay that you believe is equitable and asking for opportunity that you believe is equitable you're really, you're cutting yourself short. And that's what I've really learned in the 20 years. And that just comes with life experience that I am my own advocate. I have to advocate for myself. Well, and something I'm trying to teach my, like how old are your kids? They are eight and 10. Oh my gosh, mine are eight and 10. Oh (laughs) yeah. And and do you have boys or girls or both? Both. Both, okay. So I have two (laughs) boys, but one thing we've been trying to teach them is asking for what you want, not asking for what you think you'll get. And, you know, like learning to articulate, learning to know inside you what you want and then learning to articulate it and get the words out. And um, it's something that I, I say to my staff, if they come in and I always say that whenever someone asks for something that, that they think you'll say yes to, they ask in a way that's like really wishy-washy. And and when someone comes in with confidence and they know their mind and they ask something from their boss, I like want to give it to them for even being so audacious to, you know, like my heart wants to give them that thing. But when they come in and they're like, so I sort of, and it, you know, kind of goes around in a circle. I'm like, no, ask for what you want, have the confidence to ask for what you want. And I, I think about that so much with women. I think, first of all, they're not, I mean, definitely, I'm sure I'm almost 40, but I'm sure it's changing. But um, I think I wasn't taught as a young person to ask for what I want, really. It was what can you do? You know, based on your grades, where can you work? Not, 
oh, what does your personality fit? What do you love? What fires you up? What, you know, and I mean, we, we know so little about ourselves, honestly, at like 17, 18, when we're making these huge life decisions that we think we're going to stay in forever. Like it's actually hilarious. And our prefrontal cortex isn't even developed, but here we are, you know, deciding who to marry, deciding all these choices. But it's just an interesting thing where if we can teach young women and young men to look for what do they, what, what drives them, you know, what, and then asking for what you want. Like, it's a really interesting thing because yeah, people who ask for what they want, get it a lot of the time. And it's the people who think it's not worth asking or that they're not worth, you know, giving that to. Absolutely. I agree with that. So my own experience and my own philosophy went from Marsha, you need to earn your seat at the table to Marsha, you need to create your space at yes. the table. And, and that was really, I don't even know when that happened, but that has really been the huge shift in me, but that comes with confidence and that's not yeah. something that comes overnight either. Yeah. And I, that's, that's really interesting. And like I said, that table that I was at years ago where that man said, pass the sugar, sugar. I, I had this thing in my mind that day of where I was like, you're right. We need to create seats at this table. And I want other women sitting beside me. You know, I don't want to be the only female seat at the table. I want there to be more of us. And, um, I, I think I have, I've had a stigma too, about women at the top that you have to be like really, I don't know if the word is calloused and, you know, I've been talking to some women at the top of my own company lately and they're not, they're awesome. And they're, I want to be like them and they're beautiful and they're kind and they're warm and they're strong and they're fierce. Right. And so I think it's changing the, the narrative on women at the top that you don't have to act like a man or, you know, be different than who you are, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I love that creating, creating a seat at the table. What's it like now in 2021? Um, you know, like how many women are there out there wearing their coveralls? <laughs> there still is not many. I mean, I've always been in field-based roles. So the work that I do now is it's office work. And I put on my coveralls once in a while, go out to the field so it is office work, but it is field-based. Right. And yet I'm still the only woman in the room. There's very, very few women in the field. And I don't know why. That is one thing I have not been able to understand because the oil and gas industry, you get what you you get back what you put into it. If you work hard, you apply yourself, you can take on more responsibility. You get to be a problem solver, a decision yeah. maker a critical thinker. These are all really, really awesome things that you get to do daily. You get to motivate teams. You get to train people. It's great. And I, I just don't, I don't understand why women aren't wanting to go into engineering roles into the oil and gas industry, because it's not the rough, dirty type environment that people think that it is. There's a lot of very kind, awesome people they just happen to be mostly men, but these are men that have families and kids. And oftentimes I can find common ground with them as well, talking yeah. about what activities their kids are in or what their kids are doing, those kinds of conversations. It's the same in IT, I think. I've heard there's a, it's the same in coding. 
they've had people who come out with like girls who code and like things that they're trying to take to the schools and stuff to get more women in some of these other fields. Um, but it is, it is really interesting. Cause I'm like, I wonder what that is. Like, and I, I think it's a lack of desire, you know, just trying to find an answer for it. But when you find other women in your industry, are they pretty supportive? Are they, you know, like, what are the other women like when you meet them? I would say most of the women that I've ever worked with are they're very grounded, they're very focused, they're career oriented, they're very similar in mindset. Right. They they're bright, they want to they want to work and they want to be able to apply themselves. They want to be able to excel at what they're doing. Yeah. So you you're always you're always rooting for each other. Um yeah, I would say that there needs to be more. There needs to be more women in the oil and gas industry for sure. I like love teens so much that that makes me um, want to tell that to teens. I have, I have a niece who I think is going to be a cop and I'm really excited about that. She's a, oh, that's cool. she's an awesome, awesome girl. And I think she might be a cop, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. We need, we need women everywhere. They say with COVID that we've had a real see. Sh- oh my gosh. I can't say this word ever. It's recession, but a she session. <laughs> So many women have yes. left, left the workforce. Right. And, um, and so, and that's really sad too. And yet, I mean, it's necessity. It's, I think a lot of times in, during COVID it's whatever spouse has the most, ha- one of you has to have a really reliable job. Right. So whoever can stay home, stays home. But they say it's still been mostly women who've, you know, um, left the workforce during the she session that I can never, can never <laughs> yeah. Say. And, it's interesting because I actually had this conversation with my husband today. I said, I'm really nervous about this podcast because I don't ever want anybody that I work with to think that I'm trying to segregate myself because totally. my, my philosophy has always been, I want to be part of the team. I don't want to be, I don't want any exceptions. And I, I don't want anybody to see me as the girl or the woman I just want to be seen as part of the team. So I was worried about doing the podcast and talking about being a woman in the industry because I didn't want to segregate myself. But I said to my husband, women in the workforce over the last year have been the ones that have suffered so significantly because generally they have lesser, lesser pay and they're staying home with the kids. And I said, that is, that is devastating. That is so devastating for women. And so that was really one of the the main driving forces why I wanted to do this today was to tell people, to tell women that they belong, that there are opportunities and they don't have to work for less. They don't have to do something that they don't enjoy and they don't have to stay home because they're not valuable. That is, that's not the case. Yes. Stay home if that's what you want to do. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But I I do think it's an inspiration. I think anytime I get really fired up, anytime like I see someone, you know, carving the way, there's obviously other women out there as well. You know, I think back to something that I think a lot about is in my own industry, in the insurance industry, a lot of one of my goals is to be like a chief revenue officer one day, someone who is strategic and makes plans and drives sales for a, a company that I just adore. That's like one of my goals one day. Have I seen a woman do that? No. And we typically replicate and step into things that we've seen people do. 
And so I think it's, I think it's awesome that you're in this industry, that you're still in this industry after, you know, 20 some years um, and loving it and encouraging other women to go into it. Because I think you being there shows another woman it's possible. You being on this podcast shows another woman to maybe encourage their daughter in that way. You know, if she's thinking about jobs and industries and stuff, and we need women in every industry in some ways harder for us who haven't seen it. It just pushes us to be more audacious and to the women listening, whatever industry they're in, you know, like if you can't see a female in that role, you can be the female in that role. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I often question if women create their own barriers and their own boundaries because I haven't, you know, I haven't seen the same boundaries that a lot of women talk about. I haven't seen those same boundaries, but sometimes I wonder if it isn't self-imposed concerns that, that people put project out there. Um, Yeah. There's just, you know, there's certain terms like boss, babe. Oh my gosh. Things that are, (laughs) yes. Things that are not, I don't even know where to go with that. But terms like boss, babe, they're not doing anything for women and being entrepreneurs. If I called the the president of the oil and gas company, (laughs) anything like that, yeah, it's just not cool. It's so funny when you flip it around. (laughs) And we have a female VP. I would never call her boss, babe. Yeah. So why are women in business calling themselves that? I think it's creating our own, our own barriers. Yeah. And, and that stuff needs to go away. We just, we belong. We, we, we belong just as much as everybody else belongs. I I love what you said too, because I think um, I, I've never left my purse in the car, but I definitely feel that um, wanting to blend in wanting to not feel other than. And I think that's a lot of women um, just in lots of different scenarios even. But I also, I think that's so funny because I've seen so many things lately that's not like female CEO, it's just CEO. Let's just call her what she, right? Like just, it's this, you don't need to add, you would never say this is, this is a male CEO. Obviously he's a male. You can tell by his face or looking at him or his beard. Like he is a male CEO. Yes. Great assessment. Right. But you're right. Like, why do we add female to that? Why do we add girl in front? Like we don't need to do that. I I think it was intended to be empowering and it's exactly the opposite of empowering. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. That's super funny. What is your favorite part of working in the oil industry? It is never boring. It's, it is the most dynamic work environment ever. You're, you're challenged with economics. <laughs> you're challenged with emergencies. You're challenged with long to-do lists. It, it is always, always ever-changing. There's never a dull moment and you're always learning. It's, you never get to a point of where you're bored or stale because there's always something happening. What advice do you want to give women who are navigating a heavily male workplace? My advice would be to just show up, be yourself, work hard, and remember that you belong. Yeah. That's so funny because it's it's so much of it is about mindset and perspective. If you don't if you don't think you belong, you won't act like you do. Absolutely. And that's something that I I learned in the 20 years was 
yeah, that I, I do belong. They, they want me here. They want my knowledge. They want my skill set. I have lots to offer and they want me here. So why would I question if I can do it? Yeah. They're the ones who hired me to do the job. And just keep stepping up. Absolutely. Right. One of my things I said this week to somebody was, if you want, if you want to get noticed, you have to step out and you have to step up. And that's hard a lot of times, right? But it's doing those things in the right ways and in the right timing. And it's like magic when you do. And then I think also it's magic when you do stuff that you're meant to do because everything just falls together. If you could describe your journey in one word, what would it be? That's a tough one to answer. I know it's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to have one doozy in there always. Flexible. Oh. Yeah, I would say my journey has been very flexible because I've had to, I've had to grow as a person. I've had to adapt to, especially the economy. Um, the oil and gas industry is, is very much a boom and bust. And we have to, we have to learn how to be flexible. And my boss once told me the good people always find work. And it was, it was just really, really, really reassuring when oil last year was negative 38 and hearing him say the good people always find work don't worry and I've just really had to learn how to be flexible you can you can plan tomorrow's work day and it can do a complete 180 and if you're not flexible you you can't you can't succeed in the roles do you have a dream job in the oil industry five years from now or something I would love to be in a management role, leading people and motivating people. There's elements of that in my, in my job now, but I'd love to be in in a management role. That's awesome. Well, I think you'd be great at that and you are soft and, and smart and driven and empathetic. And I think that we need more women at the top. Right. And I like that you have a female VP. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not call her a female VP though. She's just a VP. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) He's just a VP. Well, I think this was really a motivational and encouraging conversation. And like you said, it's, it's important to know that, um, we're just looking to challenge the status quo, you know, and we want to encourage people to, to keep, keep pressing on in areas where they maybe feel nervous at first, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be there. I had printed out a quote I had seen on Instagram the other day, and I thought it was so perfect for today. So I'm just going to read it. Yeah. I don't remember who posted this. Of course, I should have printed <laughs> off that part of the post. But the quote says, strong women aren't simply born. They're made by the storms they walk through. And that just resonated with me so, so wholly. Yeah. And think about, oh, and there are no more storms than there are in the oil and gas industry, honestly. Right. And it's, yeah. <laughs> and you really, you really feel that when it's, um, I was explaining to my, my um, management partner today about Alberta and the oil and gas, cause she's from the Island and she just has never really paid much attention to it. And I said, it's just, it's always been so up and down. And when it's up, when the highs are so high and then the lows are so low and, you know, um, and that, that really creates a ton adversity creates resilience Right. And so that's one of the, one of the coolest things about that industry. Um, but this was such a, a heartwarming conversation today. And I hope that women will 
yeah, just keep pressing on because I think, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love five years from now for you to be a VP. <laughs> right. That would be it. pretty, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> I think you do a great job. Well, thanks so much for the conversation, Marsha. I hope you have an awesome night. Thank you. You too. Hey, more Jody listeners. First of all, thank you for spending your time with me today and being here. I love what I am doing. I can't believe how much fun I'm having sharing these stories with you guys. So please like, subscribe, rate, review, share this podcast with one of your friends that you think really needs to hear it. And don't hesitate to send me a message and let me know what you'd like to hear more of on this podcast. Have an awesome day and choose to make the world a better place.